as we reminisce on, again, what the Lord has done in our midst over these last couple of years and consider where the Lord is leading our church, I can't think of a more appropriate story uh, than the one we'll read about today to paint the picture of where God is challenging us to go in the next season of Hope Denver and probably uh, challenging us to go in the next season of your life as well. Um, so I want you to join me this morning. <laughs> Uh, I want to I tell you a story about a father, um, a father who, who lost something, and since he lost it, he was preoccupied, even consumed with finding it again, finding what he had lost. Now picture this with me, just picture a father daily standing outside his door, searching the horizon for the figure of what he had lost. And day after day, he was probably disappointed. Day after day, he might have been heartbroken, right? Day after day, it was not today, it seemed. Not today. But someday, what he had lost might return. But until then, this forlorn father, uh, he would wait. And he would watch. And he would pray. And he would hope. What I'm talking about is, is in Luke 15, and it starts in verse 11. Let's, let's pick it up there. Uh, Luke 15 says uh, in verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and attached himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. It's a powerful story. Luke 15 is, if, if you think about the entire chapter, I think it's one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture, because it's mostly written in red. It's mostly Jesus' words. But it's a story about the love of God coming into the cities and the suburbs of our world to find lost sons and daughters. It's about the identity of Jesus 
and the meaning of his mission in the world, then and now. And when we read this, it's all about believing that this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. And if you were to ask me, Scott, what's the point of, of preaching about stories like this? I mean, do you want me to be like Jesus? Do you, do you want me to receive people who are far from God and eat with them and find the lost sheep that he talks about earlier in the chapter or the lost coins that Jesus refers to earlier in the chapter or the lost sons and daughters and bring them home to the Father? Do you want me to do those things? Is that what we're supposed to do? And I would say those things are good and noble, but as we read this story this morning, I wonder if you will take a different perspective to what may be this familiar passage to you. See, Jesus didn't end these parables with, go and do likewise. But Luke didn't end this chapter with, go and imitate Jesus. I wonder if instead of, of finding ourselves in this story for, for just a few brief moments this morning, that you will simply look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Consider him. Where is he in this story? Know him. Learn what kind of person it is that you say you trust and love and worship. And see, when you take the view of the story from the father's perspective, this parable of the prodigal son, it takes on new meaning. And see, when I read this story now, I, I don't focus so much on the son as I have in past readings. I focus now on the father, watching him, studying him, learning from him. See, the, the story Jesus paints for us in this passage isn't so much about this son who squandered it all, although surely we can find ourselves somewhere in that story, right? See, Jesus is telling this story because this is a story about the Father. This is a story about His character. This is a story about a God who gives grace. This is a story about a God who gives mercy. This is a story about a God who has compassion. Friends, this is a story about a God who runs. And God, I just pray one more time, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that Your voice would speak through me now. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak through me. Lord, it may be my vocal cords that are moving, but God, I pray that it would be your spirit coming forth. And Lord, help us to be changed and to learn and to grow and to encounter you in a powerful way this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So look at, look at Luke 15, 12. It says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. This, this would have been a huge slap in the face for him to ask this of his father. Basically what he was saying here, if you think about in the time that Jesus was preaching this and, and, and telling this story, it was basically like he was asking his father, if he, it was basically like he wanted his father dead. He wished he was dead. And that's how harsh and cruel this ask of just this simple phrase, you know, Jesus, he, he knew what he was doing when he said this, right? People would have been, that he was telling this, would have been shocked that the son would have done this. But when confronted by this son's demand for his inheritance, I'm struck by the fact that, again, look at the father. He did not refuse him. 
He didn't refuse him. He could have said no. He could have said, go to your room. <laughs> but he didn't. It says, so he divided his property between them. See, he didn't put up a fight. He didn't even speak a word of warning, even though he certainly could have, right? He, he simply complied. And in this complying, what he was doing is he was releasing his son. He was releasing his son. Now, this is against every possible fiber of a parent who loves their children. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. See, Kelsey and I, my wife, we, we love our kids so deeply. And, and in that, our, our natural inclination is to prevent our kids from ever being hurt, from ever having to go through harm or pain, from ever having adversity. And I've often talked with Kelsey, though, that about the idea that the greatest adversity that we could ever give our kids is that they would never experience adversity. And see, while this is true, it, it doesn't make doing it any easier, right? We don't want to see our children suffer. And those inclinations that we have as parents for our kids, they're not wrong. And all the more, though, it makes you awestruck by what the father does in this story. When you think about that. See, this father, he releases his son to his own choices. And this is what God does for us, friends. This is what the God who runs does for us. He releases us. He releases us. He gives us free will. This is what he does in the garden in the midst of the explosion of beauty and creation that he brings forth that we read about in Genesis and we've read about in this series. If you haven't heard those messages, go back to the podcast. And just like he gave Adam and Eve in creation a will to choose, he gives us a will to choose. See, the father in this story in Luke, he's, what Jesus is telling us here is this father is releasing his son to step into his own choices. He's giving him dominion of his own will. And in doing so, when God does this for us, he releases us to face the uncertainty of our own future, both the good and the bad. And now this son, in this story, Jesus paints a really horrible picture of his son. See, this son, he made really poor choices, very poor choices. In all the wrong ways, he lived it up, right? to put it into our modern vernacular. His father had, had given him his lead, and now, without any restraints, this young man gave in to the appetites of the world, to his selfish desires, to sin, to debauchery of all kinds, to prostitutes even, to all manner of reckless living. Friends, this is the fall. The story Jesus is painting is a representation of that fall, of the sin that separates us from all that the Father has for us. It is the absence of the profound and deep relationship with the Father. See, the Son ran from his Father. It's, he, was, he was broken in relationship with his Father. That relationship was severed when he asked his Father for his inheritance. But see, this sin that Jesus is describing, this, this distance, this, this being far from the Father that he's talking about here is, is much more than an absence of a relationship with God. 
this, this boy in this story, this son, he had no relationship with his father. That's true. But if you look at verse 15, he says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And some translations of this passage say, So he attached himself to another citizen. So he attached himself. And see, when we break our attachment with God, you will end up attached to something else. And that attachment Jesus shows us here is not sonship. It's not sonship. It may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be sex. It may be a career. It may be a spouse. It may be a sport. It may be a political party. It may be a political candidate. It may be a hobby. It may be a dream house or this idea of, of what you thought your life was going to be about. The, end, the idea, though, is you will attach yourself to something. And that attachment, it may be crude or it may be refined. But if we break loose from God, we will be attached to something else. That's true. And in the end, this attachment will send us to the pig stops. Whether in this life or in the one to come. That's what Jesus is telling us here. It may be hard to hear some of this, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's telling us that. See, if you look at verse 16, he goes on and says, And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving anything to him. See, you and I were made to be filled with God. We were made to be filled with his spirit. And if we run from him, if we take our little earthly inheritance that God gives us of, of this short time that we have on earth, this short time that we have here in this life, and this little bit of money and this little bit of energy, and we use it to attach ourselves to things other than him, it won't matter whether we're worth $10 billion or we work in pigsties. Our future will be pig food for all eternity. And see, that's the misery that Jesus describes when we run from the Father's house. And in the end, this son, he was left destitute. He was left desperate. Not long ago, this son was dressed in fine clothing. And he drank the finest wine that his father had. and He laughed with what he called his friends, right? He probably smiled at people who smiled back at him before he learned that friends could be bought and love could be rented and this is the squandering that he's doing, right? Mm -hmm. You'll notice when the money was gone, so were they. When he needed it, when he needed them, those people weren't there to give him anything. They gave him nothing. That's what Jesus tells us. And now, he sat covered in mud. He sat alone with nothing but his thoughts of how shamefully he had treated his father. He asked for his inheritance before his father had died. He slapped him in pursuit of his own pleasures. And as he saw his father's house disappear on the horizon, he probably smiled. He probably thought he was heading into freedom, into joy, into pleasure. But now he lives to feed pigs. 
And then he, but then he came to his senses, right? That's what even some translations say. And I'm hammering on this, I'm drilling down on this because I want it to hurt too this morning because when, you, when it hurts a little bit this morning, then it's all the more beautiful what the Father does here in a moment. See what, what it says, he says, of course we, we've been talking about the Son. The Son had reached the end of himself. How long it took, we don't know from the way Jesus tells this story. But the sin in his life had left him senseless, it left him sore, and it was then that he came to his senses. That's what some translations say. And however that happened, his soul was finally awakened to its sickness. And in profound humility, he recognized the error of his ways and he turned from them, knowing that his father that he ran from before had really everything that he needed. And so he began to stumble back stumble home. And again, I want you to look at the Father in this story. Find Jesus in this story. See, while the Son was living it up and wasting his life and his inheritance, try to imagine that Father that we talked about at the very opening. What was he doing? I can imagine that he was probably on his knees in prayer, upholding his Son before God, before his God. And how long this father waited, it's uncertain. Like I said, we don't know from what Jesus tells us here, but for certain, this father waited. Every day, expectantly, hopefully, prayerfully. And see, friends, this is the other thing about the God we serve, is he is a God who waits. He is a God who waits. He waits for us. <laughs> When I think about God waiting for us, I think about my own story, my own journey to God. See, when I was growing up, I never really knew the Lord. I knew of Him, but I didn't really know Him. My family prayed, and we went to church every so often, but this idea of a relationship with God, that just with, with Jesus, that just wasn't a thing to me. I just didn't know what that was. And as I grew up, and even into high school and into college, I would say I was a lot like the son in this story. I was living it up. I was drinking, partying, not living for anyone at all but myself. You can say that I was far from God. When you think about where I stand today, preaching this story to you, I can't help but think about the figures like the father in this story who were there for me and mine. See, when I was growing up, I used to go down to Colorado Springs. That's where my grandparents lived. And uh, every summer I would work for my grandpa's electrical company. He owned an electrical company. And, um, and we would work, my cousin and I, who's the same age as me, we would, we would go down to my grandparents' house and we would work with him for a week, heading out to job sites where we'd pull wire and, wire up light switches and uh, just kind of carry things from his van back and forth for him. And um, we would work for him for, for a week in the summertime every, every year. Sometimes it was a little bit more than that. Um, and then the next week, my grandma would spoil us. <laughs> that was, that's how she they would pay us. She would take us for trips to the toy store and she would go play mini golf and she would take us to the movies. And 
all kinds of things like that. And it was great memories uh, doing that growing up. And I can remember sitting in my grandpa's van, uh, driving out to job sites. We, he would always get up before the sun came up. He had to get started before the sun came up, so he would come and wake us up. And, and so I remember watching the sun come up as we were driving in his van. And he would just preach these little sermons to me and my cousin. He would, he would recite scripture from memory and explain oftentimes how he would say, you know what, life is hard, but life with Jesus is what makes life worth living at all. And he would pray over us. Man, would he pray over us. And I never, growing up, I never really understood what he was talking about. It sounded just like some crazy old man. To me at the time. But looking back now, my, my grandfather was, was interceding for me. As I sat next to him, heading out to work those mornings. And every summer, for a couple of weeks in my life, I would hear the word of the Lord as the sun came up. You can fast forward in the story, and I'll tell you the whole story someday. I don't have time this morning, but. I gave my life to the Lord on October 16, 2006. I was 19 years old. It was 14 years ago Friday. And I can remember when I told my grandma what I had done. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll never forget the way that she smiled. And, and she just hugged me in such an embrace that I can't describe. And I, I remember what she said to me uh, when, I, when she was hugging me. She just whispered in my ear over and over. She said, I prayed for you every day for 19 years. I prayed for you every day for 19 years. See, she waited. She waited. And she prayed and she pressed in for 19 years. And just like the father in this story, friends, just like my grandma and my grandpa, God waits for us. That's good. He is patient with us. So even if you feel like the son in this story, it's not the end. Can I tell you this morning, it's not the end. And as we sit in here today, two years into the life of this little church, the vision and the mission of it, it may seem a ways off, but can I tell you, friends, we serve a God who waits. <laughs> and because he waits, we can use this season, right now, 2020, even with all the chaos that's swirling around us, we can use this season where we may feel weary, we may feel worn out, to lift our heads and fix our gaze on the only one who will get us through any of it in the first place. And see, if waiting is what God does for you, and if waiting is what God does for me, and if God will wait as long as anyone, because that's what he does for us, this is what we can do for him. Yeah. We can wait on the Lord, okay? We can wait on the Lord. And whether it takes two more years, or 20 more years, or 200 more years to see the mission he has given this church fulfilled, we will wait on the Lord. Amen? Amen. We will wait on the Lord. Now look at verse 20. 
This is where he gets happy. <laughs> the day had finally come. At long last, when the son decided to come home. In verse 20 we read, So he got up and came to his father. What do you think he expected when he got back there? Distance. Punishment. Get ready to go to work. Gotta pay me back. Maybe if you work long and hard enough, then you can have it back. Then you can earn your way back. Notice verse 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The details are important here, friends. While he was still a long way off. What does that tell you? Who was looking for whom? While he was still a long way off. A long way off from where? From the entrance back into this metaphorical village that Jesus is painting for us. And he saw him because his father was seeking for him. He was looking for him. He, his son was coming back to his father, but his father was waiting for him. His father was looking for this son. And while he was, he was sitting there, he wasn't just sitting there waiting. He was seeking, he was praying, he was doing everything he knew to do. Even though his son was not around. And then the father did something that in the time Jesus was describing this story, you just don't do. The father ran. He ran. Middle Eastern noble people don't run. <laughs> they wear robes. <laughs> the word for robe in Hebrew literally means that which gives me honor. You look even today in the Middle East and you'll see dignified and royal men with a robe all the way to the ground. They don't run. They don't run. To pull up your robe and run is to bring shame on yourself. But this father, he runs through the town. He runs through the village with his robe pulled up, running to his son. He doesn't care what anybody thinks because this is a selfless love. This is even a reckless love to the people that Jesus was talking to at this point in time. And it was compassion that propelled this father forward toward his son at a dead run no less arms open wide love pouring forth his heart overwhelmed this is the heart of the God who runs he is filled with compassion for us he is filled with compassion for us and again the details are important notice this he gets to the boy before anyone else can he gets to the boy to absorb his shame before anyone else could ever utter a word of judgment or condemnation or anything like that. And it says then he embraced him. This boy who stinks like pigs, he threw his arms around him. He threw his arms around him. This is a sign of redemption. This is redemption that Jesus is talking about here. 
And it says not only did his father embrace him, it says he kissed him. In the original text, he kissed him repeatedly, is what it says. And I could probably bring a tear to every eye in this room if I lingered over this for just a moment. And encourage you to imagine just one person in your life that you're praying to come home. Home from being alone. Home from unbelief. Home from hard-heartedness. Home from brokenness. What it would be like to see the brokenness in their face and just reach out and embrace them and kiss them. See, why Jesus tells this is he wants you to know God this way. He wants you to know God this way. He wants you to know that God is pure and God is physical. He does not hold you at arm's length. Jesus did not have to include these vivid, emotion-laden details. He wants you to feel something here about the way that God welcomes you home. He loved him. He ran for him. He threw his arms around him and kept on kissing him. And those hearing this story about such a person as the one that Jesus had created in the Son, they would have been shocked. They would have said, what in the world is this? I'll give you the word. It's grace. It's grace. Some of us aren't used to seeing God like this, are we? We often don't think of God as happy and joyful. We think of him as somber and sober. We think he, more of him as perfect wrath than perfect joy. And he may be wrath, but he's joy, friends. He's perfect joy. He's so effusive in his love that he has absolutely no regard for what this boy did, and he has absolutely no regard for what you did, for what you may have done. And he didn't ask for record of anything that this boy did wrong. It was enough that he simply came back. And the father sought him and found him and loved him and lavished him. This is grace on display. This is restoration on display. It points to the reality that Jesus will absorb all the shame that you may feel. He'll pull up his robe and embarrass himself to run through town to rescue you, to rescue someone you know that's far from God. He'll throw his arms around someone who doesn't quite fit the mold, who doesn't seem like they have it all together, and he'll kiss them all over their head. Amen. And there's nothing for that person to do, nothing for us to do, but just confess our unworthiness and receive the grace. This is the God who runs. This is what the God who runs does for us. That's exactly what he did with his son. And under this overwhelming act of grace, the son says in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But you'll notice he leaves out the last part from his rehearsed speech in verse 19. <laughs> in verse 19, he ended the rehearsal that he was before he come back to the Father, with make me one of your hired servants. And see, friends, he was rehearsing a speech he would never have to give. He doesn't say that here. Why? Because he's already fully restored. He's already fully back. He doesn't have to earn anything. 
See, the father saw past his dirty clothes. He saw past the stench of the pigs. He saw past the offense, the foolishness, and the waste. And he ran to him. And he ran to him in spite of all that. There was no reprimand when he got there. There was no finger wagging. I told you so. No, how could you? Friends, those voices that often say this, this is probably what the son was thinking as he was rehearsing this. That's what he's going to say to me. I know that's what he's going to say. Sometimes those friends, friends, i got to tell you, those voices that we hear that say, I told you so, that say, how could you, that we often hear inside our head are not the Father at all. Can I tell you, that's not the voice of God. Amen. Friends, can I implore you this morning, don't let the liar known as the devil convince you that you are not a child of the King. This is so important for us to understand. See, when you believe in the gospel and you have the Spirit of God living inside you, the enemy can't defeat you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? And since the enemy can't defeat you, when you have the Spirit of God in you, what he'll do instead is he'll try to distract you. He'll try to discourage you. And oh gosh, there are so many things going on right now that can distract you. Right? The pandemic... The election, civil unrest, and that's just the big broad stuff. See, he could distract me as a pastor with how other churches reach me. And that wouldn't be for me. That wouldn't be for you. He could distract me as a man with how other parents are raising their family. He could distract me with what other people have. And of course, I can learn from that. I can, I can grow in those things. But if I get so distracted by what you are doing, I'll probably miss the unique way that he made me to do it. And then I become discouraged, right? See, the enemy wants to distract you so you crash or discourage you so you quit. And i got to think this message probably finds so many of us distracted and discouraged, Right? Like so many of you, I've been going through a pretty challenging season this year as well. And I don't know about you, but I've had started to have these thoughts of self-doubt come at me like they haven't in a long time. In so many areas, I just feel like I'm failing. Can I be real with you for a moment? Like in my career, in my ministry, raising my family, and it was really just a few months ago I got to this really low place. And I had thoughts of quitting, just quitting. Quitting my job, trying to find a new one, quitting the church, just starting over. And I was in prayer one morning just wrestling with God about this stuff. And I remember asking God, what do you see in me? What do you see in me? And it was not an audible voice or anything like that, but I just had a deep sense that I had, uh, I felt like the Lord was simply saying, all he said in that moment was, I see my son. I see my son. And I think that's what God would say to you this morning. He sees you, son. He sees you, daughter. And then the question is, in that moment, I realized when he said that, that I was asking the wrong questions. My question should never be, who am I to be used by God? But the question instead is, who am I to doubt my worth 
when the Father has brought me into his family? Who am I to doubt my worth when God has chosen me? And see, friends, if you hear nothing else that I have said today, hear this. If you've been reborn, if you have turned from your sin in humility, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And though you may feel far off, though what you dreamed your life could be may seem distant, and it may seem a fading thought, and the world and everything going on around you right now may be weighing you down, and though you may not feel particularly childlike at all, you, and maybe you don't feel like what I'm talking about at all, in spite of all that, God is just like the Father in this story. He is releasing you. He is waiting for you. He is filled with compassion for you because you are his son. For nothing, no other reason than that, because you are his son. You are his daughter. You are chosen, not forsaken. You are free, not a slave. He is for you, not against you. You are his child, not an orphan. That is who you are. And because that is who he says you are, and that is who he died for you to become. He runs for you. He loves you. He embraces you. He crowns you. And so as we close this story today, I wonder if you could just shift your perspective in this narrative with me one more time. Just go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. With what we've talked about about the Father today and how he responded to his son, would you just close your eyes for this moment and, and now put your point yourself in the place of the son in this story. Try to see from his perspective what's happening in the story that Jesus is painting. Just imagine with me looking up the hill towards your father's house. That's a long way off still. It's, it's a ways away. And seeing your father standing on the door step. This Father who upholds you, who waits for you, who has compassion for you, he starts sprinting towards you. He's running to you. You see him pulling up his robe and he's in a dead sprint towards you. See, God is running to us over there. And in that sprint, God is proclaiming to you and to this church that even though we are in the midst of this incredibly hard season where the ground is dry and it's hard, we serve a God who pulls up his robe and runs. And as you look up that hill with weary eyes and worn out souls from all that has happened and is happening, would you see that Father sprinting towards you? And so, Lord, I pray that as those things that we dream about and that vision that you've planted for us in our hearts for this church and for our lives, Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to give us, recall uh, moments of the God who runs. God, help us to picture the beauty and the majesty of you pulling up your robe and running down that hill coming after those who are far from you, coming after those who, who have no hope, coming after those who, who need a, a touch, a, a anything, an embrace. 
Lord, I pray that, that you would give us the ability to be that. For the people in our spheres of influence, for the people that we go to work with, for the, for the parents that we know in our kids' schools, for the people that we live with, for our families, for our friends, God, would you help us be the God who runs? Would you help us see people with those eyes that you saw this son in this story, that you see us with, God, that you, you, you see us with, and God, would you help us to be filled with compassion for those around us? And help us, Lord, as that happens, that things would start to change. Lord, there's so much tension and so much hatred and so many things going around us right now. But God, in our sphere of influence, in the people that surround us, God, would they see the God who runs? Would they see your compassion? Would they see, would they see you, God? God, give us moments and times where we can just wait on you, God, where we can just wait on you and sit and soak in your presence. The only way we get through any of this, God, is by looking to you and recalling Yes, I am your son. Yes, I am your daughter. It's in your name we pray. Amen.